You miss more from not looking than you do from not knowing. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Kim. Welcome to Equine Body Talks, a podcast about opening the conversation on equine wellness. Join us as we dive deeper into the whole body approach for your equine performance courses. Welcoming back two previous guests today, Dr. Sarah Peterson of Motion Equine Veterinary Services here in Airdrie, Alberta, and Tina Watkins of InHand Equine Therapy of Calgary, Alberta. Recently, InHand Equine Therapy did a collaborative project with Motion Equine and Dr. Sarah. Tina and I with InHand Equine Therapy have been working closely the last few months on a conditioning study with Energy Equine Services as well, and this new project with Dr. Peterson for a YouTube series. We often send owners home with exercise programs for conditioning or targeting tissue with the caveat that they need to monitor their horses for fatigue. I think, though, it's something a lot of people don't really know how to monitor when it first sets in and is a reason behind many setbacks in programs or the horse's, perhaps, lack of ability to even perform. While conditioning is the backbone to any good athlete's career, monitoring for fatigue is key to its success and avoiding injury to sideline a season. By definition, fatigue is a condition brought on by extreme tiredness resulting from mental or physical exertion or illness. Horse owners and handlers often have trouble identifying fatigue because it's multidimensional. It varies with activity, training, the physiology of the individual horse, and the environmental conditions. Many programs use time frames for starting off their conditioning, These are often based on very specific time intervals and introduce added gates for their horses as a means to intensify the workout. These are ones where you, say, walk for 10 minutes, trot for 10 minutes, lope for 5, etc. This can work really well, particularly if your horse already has a base condition and you're working on more sport-specific work. So definitely there's a time and place for this, including when a veterinarian might prescribe it for coming back from an injury. What is essential, however, is knowing the horse you're working with and understanding their level of fatigue is going to become harmful to them as the program may need more adjustment. As we've mentioned before in this podcast, what works for one horse may not be appropriate for another. Each horse will come into a program at a different level of fitness with different postural imbalances and potentially old injuries to contend with. Not recognizing when your specific horse has muscle or mental fatigue can lead to injury, which in the end may sideline that season you're gearing up for. If you listened to our last episode, we were talking about conditioning and establishing that baseline program to target each horse individually to elevate their abilities. None of this happens overnight. Today, though, we'll be chatting with two of the industry's best equine sports specialists all about fatigue what you as a handler rider should be aware of, and any ways to handle it should it occur. 
Dr. Sarah Peterson and Tina Watkins have been on our podcast before, and we are thrilled to have them once again. Dr. Peterson, originally from the UK, is a graduate of the University of Calgary Medicine Faculty, as well as is a certified veterinary spinal manipulation therapist and veterinary medical acupuncturist. Dr. Peterson operates Motion Equine Veterinary Services, a mobile practice here in central Alberta, and can be seen throughout working on many top equine and canine competitors. Tina Watkins is an equine sports therapist and equinology equine body worker level three and owner-operator of in-hand equine therapy. Tina has been in the field for 24 years and is a mentor to many equine body workers. She's an instructor for equinology and has recently started online courses offering um, as well the Expand Enhanced Continuing Education POD platform. These two ladies together are a deadly combination of biomechanics and function in horses. So as we mentioned in our intro, everyone is wanting to get back into riding after feeling cooped up for the last little while. And add to that the fact that the sun is shining, birds are chirping, it's really hard not to overdo it just by sheer enthusiasm. So while most are working on some sort of conditioning program, we very much hope. People often forget, though, to check in with their individual horses to see how well they are responding to those programs. So today, we're going to talk all about fatigue. When we talk about fatigue in a horse, the image it conjures up is often one that is a horse lathered in sweat, has muscles trembling and puffing for air. It's not always that dramatic, though. So um, we have Dr. Peterson here that can you describe some of the visible symptoms that would be seen in a horse that is fatigued? Right. So it really depends on if we're talking um, long-term chronic fatigue or short-term fatigue. And I think it's really important to differentiate between the two. Mm -hmm. So um, short-term fatigue is is exactly what you just described, a horse that we've seen that's very clearly overexerted itself. Um, You know, increased heart rate, it's it's sweating, it's tired. Um, that, That one's, you know, relatively easy to spot. The one that's tough is the chronic fatigue. And so that's where it's more of a physiologic fatigue. Um, So uh, changes in the storage of certain substrates in the muscles, so fuel, changes in oxygen uptake, uh, changes in heart rate, changes in pH. So a lot of like physiologic factors. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can chat a little bit today and kind of help people understand what to look for to see those kind of subclinical factors. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Tina, what about from a body worker's perspective, especially with some of the exercise programs that we've been um, putting forth and we've been using for our conditioning programs for our own horses, when we talk about fatigue, some of the simple signs that uh, people might forget even just by doing some of the in-hand and isometric exercises? I think sometimes the thing that people forget about is small changes in behavior and small changes in uh, the flight path of the legs. So it might be simple things, not even all the way to the point of stumbling, but it might be simple things like horses starting to lose a little bit of power, horses not wanting to be able to keep its neck and head in that nice round frame that you've been working on for your exercise um, 
uh, session that you've been doing. Mm -hmm. And they're wanting to, you know, the neck is beginning to come up. It's beginning to be used as a lever. Um, The strides are getting shorter. I think sometimes people take little signs like that, thinking that the horse physically is just shutting down a little bit and or mentally shutting down a little bit and not wanting to um, continue with the exercise they're doing Mm -hmm. rather than thinking that maybe their body is actually not able to keep going. And as we get into the interview, we're going to talk just a little bit more about breaks and allowing the muscles to recoup. But I think that's one thing that gets missed in people's programs a lot is they forget those breaks so again I won't get into that this second but I do think the things that get missed maybe are a lot smaller signs than people are um that they would think of for fatigue yeah most definitely yeah Yeah. that's that and the onset of fatigue is most often associated with either accumulation of metabolic byproducts or decline in muscle glycogen is that right Dr. Peterson uh, yeah, I, if we can take a segue into glycogen a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because glycogen is kind of important. So, um, yes, but if you look, I guess let's back up a little bit. Um, I'm, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about warm-up and why we warm-up. Okay. And so um, if we look at why we warm-up, why do most people think they warm-up, right? We warm-up to literally warm-up the muscles. hmm Um, But there's also something really important that happens with glycogen. So for the first about 30 minutes of exercise in horses, about 50% of the energy is from those intramuscular stores of glycogen. As we progress to about an hour of exercise, that decreases down to about 20%. Okay. Um, and so as the liver spools up and we start to use other things, that's really why we warm up is to switch over as well into that um, the different burn, right? So okay. I think we can talk a little bit about muscle fibers and stuff later on. Mm-hmm. And so glycogen, it, it's not all about the glycogen, but it plays a really important role. And it's really more about the change in the glycogen metabolism. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's good. You keep going. (laughs) Um, And so when we think about it like that, um, that's where we get uh, lactate accumulation if we we don't give the fibers some breaks and those types of things. So um, glycogen is is important. And the other thing with glycogen as well is when we're looking at uh, fiber recruitment. So there are different fiber types in the muscles, right? Yeah. And so as we look... We um, we start to use typically the, the type 1 fibers, and as we progress in exercise and those fibers run out of their intramuscular glycogen stores, we then will move to the 2A, and as they run out, we then recruit the 2B. So on a muscular or a, a micro level, that's a level of fatigue that we, we really can't measure, but that's a really important measure of fatigue on a kind of microscopic level, right? Mm-hmm. So not necessarily uh, visible then, or how uh-huh. how is a rider? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's so difficult as a rider to judge, but it's just kind of understanding the physiology of what's going on what's and going looking on. at your time frames as well. So we know yeah. that 
as we pass that 30 to 60 minutes, which is kind of when most of us end our ride, right? 45, 60 minutes is usually considered a good training ride, yeah. that we are getting to that point where we are recruiting other intramuscular stars of glycogen. So already, just from a time frame perspective, we're starting on muscular fatigue on a uh, molecule level. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and I think the other part of your question there, Kim, was how would a rider know? And part of that, I think, might come in by, one, um, having a good relationship with your body worker and vet and, and chatting about your horse's type of fire in their muscle. Because some horses, like Dr. Sarah said, have the... Um, more of the fast twitch fibers and some horses are going to have much more of the slower twitch fibers so you would also get a little bit of an idea of your type of horse not to say that you're not going to build that horse and exercise it to gain um, as much strength and ability for your horse's type of tissue to fire but you are going to be looking at that then as the way that they are going to burn fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good, uh, a good point. And I think, um, also talking about fatigue in general, um, the other one that we, I really forgot to mention earlier, um, is structural fatigue. So literal breakdown of tissue. So biomechanical failure of tissue. Right. So yeah. a bow tendon or a ligament. So that's, uh, you know, not really the focus of today, but an important one to think about as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Point. Yeah. Because I think that's the whole point of doing the conditioning program that everyone is focused on is to get their horses in a good enough level to compete. However, if they're and prevent it and prevent that. Yeah. So if you're not that's aware right. of how to watch for that fatigue, it, it may end up happening anyways. Um, so Tina, maybe you can delve into a little bit as a body worker, what are some of the things you would feel in the tissue of a horse that has been rode or worked past their point of fatigue? Well, oftentimes as a body worker, when you're working through, you'll feel little pockets of thickening. And sometimes if it's really extreme, some people might think of it as a muscle knot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a hardened area in the muscle structure itself where the body just was not able to clean out as much waste products as uh, is being produced. Mm-hmm. And as Dr. Sarah said, it starts to build up at the physiological level of waste in the tissue. The lymphatic system only has so much ability to take waste out. And if they're being um, created faster, pardon me, than the waste product or than the lymph system is able to clean it, you're going to end up with those being left in the tissue. If you do that day after day after day, the tissue itself actually starts to warm up slower. And I get a lot of clients that say to me, you know, geez, it takes this horse 20, 25 minutes to warm up, and then I feel like it runs out of gas right after it warms up. And some of that will just be that the body itself is uh, behind in its ability to actually take out all the wastes. Okay, yeah. And um, just to kind of dive into the the physiology a little more, Yeah. um, 
when we think about horses um, with lymphatic system, then we know that hydration is a really important part of the lymphatic system for, for humans and horses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to understand that horses sweat a lot more than people um, proportionally and that they use a lot more electrolytes um, and sweat a lot more proportionally than people do. Okay. Um, and so... Um, even horses that are climatized to their climate, they sweat even more. So they kind of have that stacked against them that they sweat more. And so they need to drink a lot to keep that lymphatic uh, system working. And then when we look at metabolic changes in the muscle with high intensity exercise, the changes at the muscular level uh, from the studies that they've done with horses on treadmills, those exercise changes are proportionally greater than in human as well. So everybody's kind of heard of lactic acid and lactic, you know, lactic acid accumulation. Mm-hmm. And we just need to recognize that that happens proportionally at a much greater level with horses. And lactic acid creates what's called an acidosis in the muscle. So the muscle fibers become acid. So the pH changes. And then just for fun, uh, when we have an acidic muscle, that actually impairs what we call um, glycolysis, which is the ability to use fuel and and burn the sugar. So it's like a double whammy. (laughs) They they really, um, on a a molecular level, because I, I think that just speaks, I, I, I say this all the time, but they're such fine-tuned athletes that once we get those metabolic changes, it's almost more dramatic than what happens in people. So we've all overdone it at the gym and felt it the, the next day, but that happens, you know, potentially daily basis on horses, right? That's such right. a good point, yeah. And they're so willing to please that's that most of them will go longer than, you know, they, their tissue maybe should allow them. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. They and will. so, yeah. you know, I think when we, when we think about that, um, and, and to your point, Tina, saying, oh, this horse, you know, when you get clients tell you, well, this horse takes a long time to warm up, um, that's a really important sign that we can advise people that, you know, if your horse seems to take 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes to quote unquote warm up, well, maybe we're dealing with some chronic fatigue in that horse and we're, we need to address maybe giving this horse some electrolytes, maybe giving him a few days off work, lightening the training load. Um, it's very, very easy to get into overtraining versus fatigue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that, that's a very important point to make. So sometimes if they're noticing that, people actually need to back off a little bit mm-hmm. um, and maybe check the hydration status. For sure, get your body worker out because you guys will feel that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe look at, you know, backing off the exercise or, or using a different exercise or whatever it happens to be. But I think that can also be a sign of kind of what people are now terming overtraining. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I really liked your point too, in regards to, um, a horse's ability, uh, their, or their ability to sweat, because so many people think that what they need to do when they start back into riding is just to get a good sweat on, you know, that wet saddle pad analogy that we've talked about before as well. Um, that, you know, I certainly was first introduced to when I started riding. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a really good point to make that, um, you know, it's not about getting that sweat on in terms of being able to it monitor really, their fatigue. It really isn't. And I think um, as, a, as a good analogy, 
um, horses lose electrolytes through sweating about 10 times faster than humans do. Hmm. So I think we think about electrolytes for, you know, maybe our elite performance horses, but it's a good thing to talk to either your veterinarian or your body worker about, um, you know, using electrolytes as you start them into a training program and make sure that we've got that metabolic balance in the muscle. Mm-hmm. 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 And we touched a little bit as well earlier in regards to aerobic and anaerobic exercise. How do these play into bringing that horse into a point of fatigue? If you can explain that for everybody. Um, sure. So, I mean, aerobic is um, the, the usual that, that we're used to seeing. So they're just burning glucose and they have enough oxygen and they're in a certain point of a certain metabolic pathway. And then at some point, they flip over into not utilizing the oxygen. So that can happen for a number of reasons. It can happen because maybe they're running super, super, super fast and they can't physically oxygenate the the cells quickly enough. That's one. Mm -hmm. Or the other is they run out um, just from a long-term perspective. So it's a switchover in basically the metabolic pathway and the fuel that's being used. And um, aerobic can be sustained for quite a long time. Anaerobic also can be sustained for quite a long time, but at some point, you run out of fuel. So often that's um, described, you hear marathon runners talk a lot about hitting a wall Mm -hmm. and then they get a second wind. Your second wind is when you switch over. Okay. Right. And so that's definitely something to watch for. And we don't really want our horses to get their quote unquote second wind because at that point you fatigue the tissue. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, Always very good to know. (laughs) And we had chatted a little bit uh, last week when we were doing our recordings um, that I talked about a bit in the intro in regards to that second sweat that you'll see on a horse. Can you delve into that a little bit as well? Sure. Uh, Tina, did you want to comment on that? I, I have some thoughts. But <laughs> yeah, you, you, go, you go from the vet perspective and then I'll jump in from the body work. Sure. Okay. So um, from my perspective, it's really about um, two kind of, there's two physiologic mechanisms. So the first sweat that we're all kind of familiar with is to do with skin temperature. Mm-hmm. So the skin temperature, you know, reaches a certain temperature, which triggers sweating. And then the evaporation cools the skin temperature enough that we get below the threshold. Mm-hmm. The second sweat is triggered from the temperature of the internal core and the internal muscle tissues. So what can happen is they their skin heats up. Um, they cool off a little bit, you know, their skin is cooled off with the initial sweating and the evaporation, but then later on, um, the core tissue, it takes a little longer to get up there, but then Mm -hmm. you end up triggering the threshold again. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I think from the body worker's perspective, um, now that Sarah has described kind of what's happening in the physiology, we really forget about this as, uh, riders, especially if you've already cooled your horse off, and right. um, some some horses are um, stuck in a stall afterwards. And um, if you see that where they have that second sweat, or if it's a horse that 
um, does that to you often, especially the really thick muscled horses seem to um, have that second sweat often, you might have to consider that then as a rider because that horse might need another um, short walk off to ensure that the circulation is continuing through the body and some of that waste products isn't being trapped um, you know, within the structure itself. So I think that's something to think about because I've heard uh, clients say before, oh, yeah, he always does that. But then mm. we have to be able to address <laughs> that. You yeah. know, it's great that you recognize that. But then we need to be able to address that. And then I think that takes us right back, and I'll get Sarah to comment on it, but I think it takes it right back to then the amount of electrolyte balance that then is leaving the body again, right? So Mm -hmm. um, maybe the first sweat, you know, sometimes is that little bit of glistening sweat. We see it, you know, in the crook of the neck, and we see it under the saddle pad and under the girth area. Um, But that second sweat often comes out on like the top of the glutes and and thicker muscle structure. And sometimes it even leaves that little bit of a salty kind of a look like you can almost see the little sweat lines when you come back the next day and you think to yourself, geez, I I groomed pretty well. I'm not quite sure where that's maybe was sweating outside in the paddock. Yeah. Um, so it's really something to think about as well. Uh, looking again back on the point Sarah made with the electrolytes. Yeah. And I think that's also fair. I've seen, um, you know, at shows before where people will come the next day and they've just had a sheet maybe over top of the horse. But just as you're talking about that same patterning, Tina, um, with the the salty type rim, we'll call it, um, around mm-hmm. those muscles areas. And they'll think oftentimes my horse was just too hot overnight, even though it's, you know, hasn't been that warm. Um, but they'll just assume that that's what it is, when in fact, it likely is that second sweat maybe brought on because they needed the second or more cooling out, but then on top of that had a blanket put on as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Absolutely. so interesting point then in regards to people that will cool their horses out and then go and hose them down. Um, what, what do you guys have to say in regards to that view? Um, and thinking along this terms of the second sweat as well, does that help reduce that? Does it help reduce that core temperature in the body uh, enough that that will help alleviate that second sweat as well um, or or not? So like everything, it's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you look back to uh, the really interesting studies that were done before the Atlanta Olympics, Mm -hmm. um, they did a lot of studies about cooling horses and how to keep horses cool, Uh, particularly, I believe, for the eventing phase. There's lots of studies out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they really found that the, the most efficient way of keeping horses cool was misters. So very, very, very fine droplets of water um, that could then uh, land on the skin and cause evaporation, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, does it help? Yes, but like anything, it's a little bit of a fine balance. So I think it absolutely helps, um, but you also have to then walk the horse to then take that cooler, that blood that's been brought to the surface and cooled with a cool hose and then send it around the muscle so I don't think you're going to help 
if you cool your horse off and then leave him in the stall. You know, if you want to hose him off, maybe not with ice cold water, but a cooler water, and then walk him around for 10 or 15 minutes to circulate that blood and again allow the the, the temperature gradient to normalize through the muscle, to me, that's very sensible. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I love that point from Sarah because I think for me, on if people were going to ask me what my number one pet peeve was on cooling off, everybody looks at, uh, well, not everybody, but we hope um, that the majority look at the nostrils, the puffing, um, and, you know, they think, okay, well, yeah, he's recovered, he's cool. And I think that people forget um, that there has been lots of studies as well saying that some of those deep, deep muscle tissues, um, especially like through the gluteals and the, the butt, the engine of our horse, you know, take anywhere um, from 18 to 25 minutes to cool off. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how many, yeah, how many riders are actually um, walking their horses off for that 18 to 20 minutes. And again, the walk-off has to be with no weight-bearing on the horse. You can't be riding your horse and think you're cooling it off. Yeah. Because the core tissue is suspending your rider weight even when the horse is walking. So, you know, that tissue itself is still in work. Um, So I think that's a ground point that Sarah makes that, you know, we need to be in that minimum 15 to 20 minutes of walking these horses off um, to make sure that the actual tissue is cooled. So, so Sarah's point of walking for a little bit, taking your tack off, hosing, and then continuing to walk would be the ultimate, because like she said, brings that coolness, um, you know, from the capillaries on the skin level, bringing them at uh, that temperature differentiation down into the thicker tissue. So yeah. I think that's a great thought is the time frame that we walk off for. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's important, like, like Tina was saying, those big muscles, they've recorded temperatures of up to 45 degrees Celsius in those muscles when they're working. Oh. Well, we all know how we feel with a fever, right? Yeah. And that's nowhere near 45. So, um, you know, when you think about that, we really need to do a good job of of normalizing that temperature gradient. Absolutely. Yeah, I think. Totally. And then and then taking us all the way back to our initial topic of today, which is fatigue. um, If we (laughs) if we don't. Um, clean out and cool off those tissues correctly, then that waste is left in that tissue for the next day that you're then going to have them stiff warming up and slower to warm up. And it just, it just keeps snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. Um, So, you know, these little small things that we take for granted with, like Sarah said at the beginning, these fantastic athletes that we have the privilege to get on, um, you know, we all these little small things start to add up, which is, you know, why a lot of times three quarters of the way through show season, um, Sarah and myself and Kim yourself are all running like crazy um, from client to client to client trying to help them with their wellness protocols because it then starts to show up um, in the performance of the animal. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. Um, kind of comes back to the overtraining and it comes back to really what you were talking about before is let's get these horses on a decent baseline of conditioning so they right. don't have that kind of slow burn and then a, a burnout. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, you know, again, coming back to apparently I'm, I'm on my physiology today, okay. but, um, <laughs> you know, the inability to continue, you know, we do have that depletion of the muscle substrates and we do have the change of that electrolyte gradient like we chatted about. Um, and we have a change in contractility of the fibers in the muscle that changes with electrolytes, specifically calcium. Um, but then we have, you know, secondary things like the decreased blood flow, which exactly like you're talking about, if we have a decreased blood flow because we've got those hard areas of the tissue, it's difficult for those capillaries to perfuse the tissue, then we end up compounding our problem. So body work will help with that. Appropriate appropriate warm-up and cooling will help with that. So there's lots of little things that we can all do that are just mm-hmm. super helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we certainly want to be here to help the horse get through all this. This is the whole point. We want to make them last as long as we can in terms of longevity um, throughout their career, but specifically when you're looking at a, a show season from start to finish as well. So I think the points you both have just mentioned are so relevant to that. Um, there's a couple of syndromes that are out there as well uh, that often people will just go straight to if they see a horse that is um, in a muscle fatigue uh, scenario that they may think that they are associated with. So as specifically, I'm talking about tying up and PSSM. Okay. okay. So um, yeah, if you don't so mind let's, touching. Let's, yeah, for sure. Let's tackle tying up first. Um, horses seem to fit into one of two categories. Um, so we have the kind of sporadic horses that, um, you know, they're having it occasionally and it's, you know, they experience an episode of general tying up and then we have kind of the repeat offenders. Um, and so, you know, the sporadic tying up that we, that we talk about, that's often seen after asking a horse to undertake competition exercise after a layoff, which is extremely relevant right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, or with minimal training before an event. And we know that electrolyte imbalances play a role, particularly low sodium. Uh, interestingly, deficiencies in vitamin E as well. And you guys know how I feel about vitamin E. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we know that that plays a role as well. Um, and sporadic tying up, uh, can sometimes occur if they have a concurrent illness, like maybe a, a respiratory viral infection. So again, they're not circulating that oxygen, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, and so in that case, it absolutely can be uh, tied to fatigue. Right. Um, there are the, the kind of the repeat offenders. So this recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis, um, that's actually a little bit different. There's a deficit in the mechanism of the muscle contraction. So that's why it's really um, important to kind of separate the, the two attempts. Mm-hmm. So the one is absolutely directly related to fatigue. Uh, the other one is actually a genetic defect. Okay. Um, and then if if we kind of talk about genetic defects, that's where we get into the PSSM, which is um, the PSSM stands for polysaccharide storage myopathy. 
So myopathy, myo relating to muscle pathy, meaning something is wrong. So something is wrong in the muscle. They're not able to store um, polysaccharides, which essentially is glycogen, appropriately in the muscle. Mm -hmm. And so they're not able to contract their muscles appropriately and they can't use carbohydrates or polysaccharides as a fuel. And so we end up seeing the muscles tying up because there's a dysfunction in the muscle. And those horses can be managed with diet and an increase in their, or sorry, um, a change in their uh, exercise regime. So a little bit different. Right. Yes. I think just fair to mention it because so many people do get confused um, so it's great to Absolutely. have that, have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked a little bit already about this, but the consequences of pushing a horse past their point of fatigue. Um, so there's permanent damage that can be done in terms of the tendons and ligaments as well. Um, but the muscles, what would you feel mainly in the tissue yourself, Tina, if, uh, if a horse has had permanent damage to their muscle from um, consistent fatigue? Well, I think um, the biggest thing would be that the muscles become harder and harder. So, you know, you see some people that um, they're really proud that, oh, look at how, you know, hard my horse is. And I think that that maybe comes from a little bit like the, the thought process of the bodybuilder, um, you know, where you see them working themselves to the point of micro tearing the tissue and the tissue heals with a little bit of fiber in it. And the bulk of the tissue gets thicker and thicker and is quite hard to the touch. Mm-hmm. Healthy muscle really should be um, pliable. It's of course going to be strong and it's going to be thicker um, in overall depth um, than a muscle that doesn't have the same amount of uh, development within it. Um, but we do want that muscle to be pliable. So we love that thought process of, um, and I am going to toot the sport that I do a little bit, the dressage thought process where the horse is strong and flexible or the human ballerina where the horse or where the human is very strong but also has full range of motion and the ability to move because those thickened muscles that have the micro tears in them and heal with the little lines of fibrosis for support because what you're actually doing is you're literally injuring the, the, the contractile fibers and the body is laying down a little bit of fiber um, within there to, to a matrix and help to strengthen that area and protect it from that happening again and again. Mm-hmm. So as the um, tissue itself um, gets thicker like that, you, you know yourself, everybody's seen the you know, the bodybuilder walking around and he can't even straighten his arms anymore, right? Because yeah. um, they literally don't allow um, the the joint surfaces to go all the way back to a straight. Um, and that'll happen with horses as well. So it'll feel a little bit like lines within the muscle for myself when I'm going along. You'll feel these little hardened lines within the muscle. Um, some uh, vets really describe it as actual fibrosis. I know there's, you know, some camps that, that want to keep that word for within um, uh, tendinous and ligamental tissue, um, but you really do feel the little lines within there. Sometimes it can be a bit nodule-like, 
but you're literally, as you're palpating along, massaging the tissue, you will be able to follow those lines along. Um, they're not, uh, they're not there forever as long as you haven't actually got to the point of fibrotic myopathy where the, the muscle itself literally has turned part of that muscle. They've laid, it's laid down enough calcium that it has gone into almost a bony substrate. And I've got, um, quite a few, uh, clients that I can think of where I've got these little lines within the muscle that you can feel. Um, and it is like, like bone right in the middle of the muscle where the muscle is, you know, been overstretched and, and had reoccurrent injury to it. Yeah. And a, a couple, couple of points to add to that. Um, so when you think, when you think about your steak, nobody likes a real tough steak, right? So yeah, right. the the prime cut of the steak is the filet mignon, right, which is incredibly tender. So I think that's always a good thing to think about. You know, that's what we like. But the other thing to remember is when we start to get um, scarring, essentially, um, just like scarring in the skin, we replace uh, the collagen fibers with a different type of collagen that's less elastic. And mm-hmm. so when just like Tino was referring to the bodybuilder that can't straighten his arms. When we get that scarring, eventually we end up with a loss of range of motion, which then opens up our horses to they take that quote unquote off step. And instead of having the range of motion to deal with it, then we're in that um, kind of catastrophic step where they end up with a biomechanical failure because the fibrosis of that muscle or the scarring uh, in that muscle is not as elastic as it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great point. Mm -hmm. So as as a body worker, what can be done when you come across a horse that does uh, have been maybe been diagnosed with a fibrotic myopathy um, to help return that tissue to as normal as possible. Is there anything that can be done as a body from a body well, worker's perspective? As Sarah said, if if it actually does get to scarring, so little little pockets of, of fibrosis or little little muscle knots, little areas of lines that I was describing, mm-hmm. those um, as long as they haven't gone, um, as Dr. Sarah said to the point of scarring because like she mentioned the collagen is actually a different consistency after um so if that happens and you do get an actual um fibrotic myopathy that area of the muscle then does not have the same ability to contract or release So when I have a horse with actual fibrotic myopathy, I'm going to make sure that I work above and below that zone, ensuring that the um, elasticity in that area above and below are as good as it can possibly be. Because as Sarah said, when the um, muscle then is going through its range of motion, it ends up um, not being able to fully elongate in that area because it loses its elasticity. Yeah. People often think of muscles, um, their important part is how hard they can contract. And I always use the analogy of if I'm going to walk over and pick up a coffee cup off of the table, um, I'm going to recruit a certain amount of contractile fibers to do that. If I'm going to pick up the table itself, 
I'm going to have to recruit significantly more contractile fibers to get that job done. Mm -hmm. So muscles can often recruit more fibers to continue working um, and being able to get done the sports that we want them to do or the exercises we want them to do. The kicker is, is that they cannot elongate to allow the agonist muscle that's going to work on the other side of the joint to actually be able to do its job. So if everybody thinks of their own arm and they think of bending their elbow, okay, their bicep is is your agonist muscle and your antagonist muscle is going to be your tricep at the bottom. Mm-hmm. If there was a huge muscle knot or it had gone to fibrotic myopathy in your tricep, your bicep is going to have to not only recruit more contractile fibers to get the same amount of bend in your elbow, but there will be a point where it's overstretching the um, tricep tissue as the elbow is trying to flex because the tricep has to fully release in order for full flexion to happen. So people forget, they think that just the muscle that is shortening is the guy that is working, and that's correct. But the elongation of the muscles on the other side of the joint is often what creates some of the shorter strides that we're seeing in our horses. Mm -hmm. And it also then can um, create, like Sarah said, you don't get the same amount of flight path. And something still has to take up the ground force energy that's being created as the horse hits the ground and the torque being created as the horse moves over top of that leg. So all of those forces remain the same, but if you have an unhealthy structure in part of it, the other guys are going to have to take up the slack. Right. Which is a really great point. And, and to add to that, um, when we talk about the three types of muscle contraction, we have our isometric, our concentric, and our eccentric contraction. So um, our concentric contraction is the classic, just like Tina said, when you flex your elbow, your bicep gets, it, it bulges and it gets shorter. Like the, what we call the origin and the insertion of the muscle come closer together. Mm-hmm. Um But if we think about the opposite of that, which is eccentric contraction, the muscle is still contracting, but it's it's getting longer. So that would be the antagonistic muscle. And it's really important to remember that most injuries happen under eccentric contraction, not concentric contraction. Right. And then we have isometric contraction, which is the origin and the incision don't move, but the muscle contracts. So the, the easiest one to um, relate to in us is if you're standing up and you, you tense your quads, your knee and your hip don't get any closer together, but you tense your quad muscle. Mm-hmm. That would be isometric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, going back to your point about, you know, that that antagonistic muscle and losing the range of motion, I think, you know, it's important as well to recognize that that's, that's where the majority of the injury happens is in that eccentric contraction because the muscle is under strain, but the origin and insertion are getting further apart. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, you know, some people are listening to the um, podcast right now and they're like, these are lots of words. I don't get it. I don't <laughs> get it. If you guys kind of think of the marionette 
and um, you picture when you were watching, um, you know, a puppet show when you were young. And that marionette has those jerky responses where the, the arms are getting long, short, long, short, long, short, like that. If you picture that, that uh, marionette, like uh, Dr. Sarah is describing, does not have any eccentric contraction happening. It's just making those quick movements mm -hmm. where that eccentric contraction is stabilizing as the horse's leg comes down. It's resisting gravity. It's slowing the leg as it hits the ground and allowing the body. Because if you pictured a horse moving like a marionette with its legs slap, slap, slap against the ground, um, you know, you can see that that eccentric contraction, how important it is. Now, if you also think of your own body after you've um, gone for a run, and if you guys listening are like me, you don't do a lot of running. So you <laughs> go for a run, and at the beginning, you're like a gazelle. You're like, oh, yeah, and you're hitting the ground nice and soft, right? Mm -hmm. But as you're, if it was me, 20 strides into running, all of a sudden, your footfalls are getting heavier and heavier and heavier. That's because you're body's ability to slow your leg as it hits the ground resist gravity stabilize your foot stabilize your leg as your body moves over it all of those things that dr sarah was just describing are just absolutely key because if you think of that as that eccentric contraction starts to fatigue and the leg hits the ground harder and the body awareness of where it's going to hit the ground start to shorten that's as as the doc said is where things start to go terribly wrong yeah and so great point to note for monitoring fatigue if your horse suddenly gets heavy in his footfall yeah like good hear the footstep um you know, the footsteps change or maybe you've been trotting over poles and all of a sudden he just can't make the same distance. Mm -hmm. You know, you've, mm -hmm. you've done the exercise three or four times and all of a sudden you can't make it on time number five. Your horse is making a mistake or has to double stride in the poles and before mm -hmm. it was easy, time out, you're done. Yeah. yeah. Great. Point. Right. So that's that's one to look for for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A, a great segue too, in terms of so if you start to notice your horse fatiguing in a situation like that, what are some of the things they can uh, do as a rider? Is it um, abort ship, jump off the horse, cool it out and put him <laughs> away now? Or what sort of things so, can... So depending on, I mean, it may be that maybe you've gone over the top holes four times and your horse struggled. And, and as a training note, you don't really want to leave it on a bad note. Right. But maybe your horse just needs a moment or two to reoxygenate, to walk, to allow the cardiovascular system to balance, just to cool out for a moment. So for sure, take a 10-minute walk and then try again. Mm -hmm. Right? That That's very reasonable. Um but, you know, if, if your horse, um, the, the different levels, I think it's really important to talk about uh, what we call central fatigue, which is the central nervous system, otherwise known as the brain, um, and the brainstem and the spinal cord. You know, we need to kind of talk about that as well. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that can happen there. And so we may get behavioral changes in our horses. 
um, that they're either they're not willing or they're not able because maybe their brain ran out of fuel. That's one thing that can happen and they just can't really think or concentrate anymore. But the other thing we need to remember is the nociceptive input to the central nervous system. If those muscles and those feet aren't going through a full range of motion or they're hitting the ground differently because of fatigue, Mm -hmm. then the central nervous system is getting a different message as well. So maybe Mm -hmm. they stumble or maybe they're starting to struggle to place their feet in space. And so, again, I think, you know, step one is just maybe give them a moment, give them a a couple of walk circles and see if it improves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love that point. Um, I always describe it to people because we've all seen it before where, you know, you're you see the little kids on the um, bars in the playground and they're seeing who's going to be able to do the most pull-ups. Well, you see them and they do, you know, all of them are doing one or two, and it's just their arms that are working, okay? And then after they maybe are done three or four, you see them and they start using other parts of their body to get the same exercise done. So they're kicking their legs and they're wiggling their back and they're doing all these types of things to try to still get that pull-up done. Well, if any of you guys have tried it, you've experienced this yourself. If you do two or three pull-ups, if it was me, two, and um, you're going to get to that, go to that third one, and you feel yourself, and you can feel that little bit of fatigue, and you start to use other parts of your body. If you just stop and shake those arms out and let them get reoxygenated, let the blood flow get back through them. Because I think people really forget there's a, a couple excellent studies out there where it says that when a muscle is contracted by 70%, 100% of the um, blood flow is restricted. So if you visualize your, your little kids doing the pull-up, or um, a horse in a slide stop and has that muscle as uh, 100% contracted as best as it can to stay in that slide stop. If we were then to go ahead and ask them to move off right away again, that muscle has been restricted from blood flow for all that time. Or in your pull-up idea, your bicep has been restricted from um, oxygen and, and blood and nutrients. Mm-hmm. If you shake those arms out, all of a sudden you can do two more. So I always say to people, when I'm evaluating my ride for that day, we need to make sure that you have an idea of what that ride's going to be. If it's going to be a cardio focus, um, like Dr. Sarah said, when your horse needs a break, not only are we looking at the cardio aspect, does the puffing go down? We're going to walk for that good, you know, um, five to eight minutes, maybe 10, depending on where your uh, horse's uh, respiration's at. And we're going to stay in the um, workout stage a little bit longer to start to get the body to be able to normalize to um, contraction happening over and over. But most of us, when we're riding our horses, we want to be riding in what we're going to deem a strength day. A strength day is where we are getting to that next level of um, exercise um, ability 
we're trying that, you know, next level of jumps that we're trying to figure out, next level of collection, next level of roundness, and, and working on the uh, circle of muscles, trying to get them into um, the shape that we want. And we forget that that, um, especially with Dr. Sarah describing the different types of contraction with your core tissue and your stabilizers within the body are going to be under an immense amount of isometric contraction, mm-hmm. trying to stay in that shape, same shape. Mm-hmm. We need to remember that we need to give the horse that time to put its arms down and shake and, and get the flow back through there. So we need to be giving multiple breaks. I tell all of my guys, if you're on a, a strength date, you need to be giving 8 to 10 breaks in a 60-minute session. So that two of those are going to be full wind breaks where the horse is able to um, uh, get back to totally normal wind, which is that between five and eight minutes, depending on how hard you've been pushing your horse. Mm-hmm. But if you if you divide uh, 60 minutes by eight breaks, you're going to be taking multiple breaks to allow that horse to stretch its top line down, shake out its core tissue, be able to um, rehydrate and um, recirculate those muscles, and then coming back into the frame. Um, I'll pick on my own sport again and just say to myself, how many dressage riders have you guys seen? It'll be 15 or 20 minutes before they give their horse a break. Well, that entire time, there is going to be muscles in the body that were not getting the nutrients that they needed. Even if the horse has that ability, Mm-hmm. And then coming back to this COVID situation, when people have been away from their horse, they're going to get back on and they're going to think to themselves, oh, well, I was at this level. Even if I come back slowly, um, you know, and, you know, people think slowly means that they're going to take this week to kind of get back to 60 minutes of riding, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The time frame sneaks up on us quick. Yeah. But we have to realize that then the body doesn't have the efficiency that it had before for cleaning out waste products, but also bringing circulation to the zones. So a lot to think about with the point that Sarah just made. Yeah. And then just, I, I, you twigged a, a thought in my brain as well. Remember, we lose most of our condition. Um, it takes about three weeks. Right. 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 Good point. Sir. So, yeah. um, you know, if you've been off your horse for three weeks, you, you're almost back at ground zero, even though it might not feel like it. Yeah. And right. the good news Great is, point. if you have that baseline conditioning, it will come back very quickly also. But just remember that, right? Yeah. Totally, totally. And also, um, I love how Sarah and I are binging off each other because that brings a (laughs) point in my mind. Um, Some barns, you know, are are on a schedule where, you know, they're only allowing two or three riders. So you may only get to your horse right now three or four times a week. Um, We also have to consider um, the, the program that your horse is on. If your horse has had more than um, one day off, so if you string more than two days together, the body then is not thinking right away of 
building contractile fibers, the body right away, as, as bad as it is, and we've all found this with ourselves, if you get sick for a week um, and you, you know, go back to your regular um, uh, work workload, you'll find that you just can't do it the same way you used to because the efficiency in your body slows down um, quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So even if you're only at the barn three or four days a week, you're not going to be able to build at the same rate you would be if you were on, you know, the the Rainbow and Sunshine program of three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off, which is what I try to have most of my elite athletes uh, looking at. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Like, we, you know, the restrictions are what the restrictions yeah, are, but just true, recognize true. it and, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, let's do this sensibly. And, and nobody's in a rush right now because, you know, we know we're not competing. So there's no hurry. So let's just do it right. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Avoiding that injury that may be coming at all costs. So keeping it small for sure. Um, in, in talking about that, there are some other things that uh, we've, dealt with uh, in terms of conditioning with isometric exercises, which is a big part of the conditioning program um, we've put together and the study that we did as well. Um, When we do those isometric exercises, there will still be, even though, again, we're not getting that sweat on the horse or we're not seemingly increasing respiratory rate, um, there's going to be signs even in those small, tiny movements, that those muscles are fatiguing. Um, can we talk a little bit about that in terms of, is it uh, bracing? Is it trembling? Is it actual contraction that you can see happening in the, the muscle? What do you guys have to say about those? Well, I mean, for me, it could be... Oh, sorry, Tina, you go ahead. No, you go, no, you go, you go sister. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it can be any and all of those. I think the biggest thing you're looking for is change. Okay. Yeah. The horse is a, a change in the ability of the horse to do what it's asked. And that can go for isometric or ridden. Mm-hmm. But ha- what changed? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that thought. So, you know, maybe it's willingness, maybe it's range of motion, maybe it's stride length, maybe it's, you know, but I think really any of those things you mentioned, but did something change? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good point. Yeah, and yeah. I love that kind of plot too. Yeah. Yeah. I think the doc is spot on there because that goes then with everything. If we, if we're really going to be advocates for our horse, that goes with um, the isometrics, it goes with uh, any kind of even um, stretching, it goes with ridden exercises, it goes with anything. We need to be looking and seeing what our horse is um, doing. And, and like the doc said, anything that changes, we have to ask ourselves why. Yeah. That would be the point then that you would, if it was an isometric exercise, you know, allow, take the horse for a little hand walk. And you would try one more again. If the body was able to withstand a couple more, excellent. If not, um, I liked your analogy there, Kim, where you just said, okay, pack her up for today. So yeah. that might yeah. be it. Um, and I think, you know, just to add to that, there's um, a, a very famous veterinarian, uh, Dr. Otto Radistitz, and his he is known for the quote, you miss more for not looking than not knowing. Mm. Uh, good one. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so I think that's that's really a good one. And then just to add to that, um, you guys have seen me adjust lots of horses, but often you'll see me adjust them and say, oh, that was a big one. Walk him out. Yeah. Yeah. Walk him out of that one. Because um, it also gives the nervous system time to adjust. Yes. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So if there's a change in a change in anything, yeah, just, just give them a minute. Like, <laughs> just yeah. give them a minute. Yeah. Um, so I think that can be added as well to that thought. Yeah. No, those are awesome points. So if we feel that a horse has been pushed past, as, as a rider or um, handler, that a horse has been pushed past that um, threshold of fatigue, and how is the best way to handle the situation? We talked a little bit, obviously, the really good cool out after the fact, um, potentially hosing them off, bringing that temperature, body temperature down, um, hydration with the electrolytes. Is there any other right. points that um, we so, should be thinking about? Yeah, so I mean, if we're really in a in a physiologic distress, um, you know, you can see a horse that maybe has had its electrolytes depleted with the thumps or um, that diaphragmatic flutter. And so if we're really in, in dire straits, then that's a point for veterinary attention. We may need IV fluids or we may need, you know, tubing with oral electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I, I mean, I know we're not really talking about extreme uh, acute fatigue, but it's worth remembering. Oh, um, and so if we feel that a horse has been really overworked for me from a physiologic standpoint absolutely getting some electrolytes into that horse and making sure that the horse has absolutely adequate access to water and I often um, with my own horses after they've been competing if they're in a stall they will have three buckets they'll have an electrolyte bucket of water and two big buckets of plain water okay Um, and it's it's surprising um, some of them won't touch the electrolyte water at all, and some of them will drain all three buckets, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really important point to note if you're competing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all horses, you know, we give them a bucket of water, but just pay attention, and if that bucket's dry, maybe hang two and maybe hang an electrolyte bucket. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, and I think um, some other things that people can think about, if you, if you have uh, pushed your horse, and, and again, it's not that you're a bad owner or um, rider. I mean, they want to give to us, right? So yes. if you're just learning and, and getting these signs down and understanding more about your horse, other great things to do would be to call someone like Dr. Sarah and get um, a chiropractic and uh, maybe some acupuncture done. Both of those would allow the practitioner to then assess what's happening with your horse and really see, you know, is that nervous system in distress? Can I help reset the body? Um, You could have a massage done and us, when we're doing massage, we're physically breaking up what's happening in those structure. We're helping to drain it out with our drainage work. Um, So you could have something like that done. Um, Really looking at some of the things then that you could help the horse get in that um, reset mode because I think the thing for me that um, people 
uh, do is they go, oh, geez, can't push them too hard that day. Okay, I'll try not to do that again. But yeah. then they just go back to their same riding. Not not that they're trying to be bad people, but it just, it we're, we're all creatures of habit, right? Yeah. So they go back to their same, you know, three times around the arena to the left and three times around the arena to the right, and then I pick up my reins and off I go, right? Right. Um, so I think, you know, that idea of having someone else to help, help you do a reset. I've often had uh, clients before that say to me, oh, my horse was so different after. And I say to them, oh, what was different? And I think Sarah describes this the best when she um, uh, comes to adjust horses. And I know I'm lucky enough to have her work on my horse pretty regularly. And I think that the big thing is, is that the next day for me, it's like everything has settled down. It's like I, I have a new start point. Um, so I do think that utilizing your um, professional wellness team is is another thing to really consider because it, it'll give you the feedback, but it'll also allow the tissue that and the nervous system that little reset. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just to add to that, you know, sometimes there's a training issue that needs to be dealt with, right? Like sometimes fatigue is going to happen. So maybe, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, maybe your horse doesn't want to walk over a Liverpool filler or some, you know, whatever it happens to be. And sometimes there's a training issue and it just needs to be dealt with. And we're going to over fatigue our horse or, um, you know, maybe it's a show day and it went on longer than expected. And and so it's going to happen through no fault of our own. So like you say, I think you just, you know, you don't beat yourself up and you provide your horse, you know, the water, the electrolytes, potentially, you know, massage and, you know, maybe just like us, go easy for the next couple of days with lots of long and low stretching just to allow the muscle tissue to recover and go through that full range of motion. Um, for me, the, the big thing is, you know, walking it out and not leaving it in a box stall um, yeah. because that won't help if you've overdone it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think the point in regards to it being potentially a training issue as well is super key to people uh, for people to think about, because sometimes it is that repetitive. I just have to get it one more time. I just have to get it one more time before I can quit um, or I need to do have it done correctly before I quit. But it may be the fatigue that's inhibiting um, that one more time. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so, and sometimes it needs to be done. Sometimes yeah. it absolutely needs to be done one more time, but mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's it. Reading the horse, knowing the horse is this, you know, is this something that's really more coming from a um, behavioral or personality that they're not wanting? Or is it coming from a buildup of, no, he's been a little bit maybe fatigued over the last few days. And this is now day two or three of having, um, you know, that that buildup happening that he's just actually completely fatigued and needs to have a bit of a rest before, you know, address readdressing it again. Yeah, and I think the other thing that comes up for me just listening through those excellent uh, points that both of you gals made, I think the other thing that we can think of is you can also get kind of inventive. So like Dr. Sarah said, sometimes like the the trainer or, or you're getting lessons, I mean, we all know we like there is that time where the horse just, they have to be able to get through this. Um, and so I, I often say to clients, you know, if that's the scenario and you know something is going to be tougher for them, 
Um, you might even consider two shorter day or two shorter rides that day. Um, now yeah. that's not available to lots of people, and maybe with COVID, uh, it's really not available. But just just to chat something through, you might think to yourself. Okay, well, I'm going to do uh, 20 minutes on this horse in the morning and 20 minutes on this horse in the afternoon. He has to learn how to counter to the left. Um, you know, I've, I've got to get this. Um, and you're wondering, is it fatigue? You know, is that counter lead only a problem halfway through the ride and longer? Mm-hmm. That, that horse there might do much better with two shorter rides getting the same amount of training time in then, um, but not just pounding away over and over and over again, um, especially if the nervous system is involved, meaning that the horse is getting hotter and hotter and everything's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So just also thinking that there's other strategies that maybe could be used when looking at um, ways of dealing with horses when, like doctor, like the doc said, sometimes just has to be something you just have to get done. Yeah. Yeah. No and, right. you know, that, that happens. And the other great point to that is, um, and this is a whole can of worms that I'll just rip the lid right off of. Right? <laughs> yes. Right. How fit is your rider? Is it you that's fatiguing and all of a sudden you're collapsing through your left rib cage or your, um, you know, um, maybe, you know, maybe like myself, you're coming back to the spot after a significant break and you're not as strong as you thought you were. Right. Right. Um, And maybe it's you collapsing or tense or tired and recruiting muscles. Maybe the horse isn't the fatigue problem. Maybe it's you, especially again after COVID, if you haven't been able to get to the gym like you usually would. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe two short rides is better for you as well. Yeah. Right. Good point. Good point. Really good point. And along uh, some lines in terms of the breeding of horses. So, are there specific breeds? We've talked a bit about fast and slow twitch fibers uh, earlier in the podcast here, but are there specific breeds that you would recognize that fatigue quicker because of their muscle structure? Well, I think it depends on the work that you're asking them to do. So, you know, if you ask a thoroughbred to pull a, a big heavy plow, that thoroughbred's going to you know, fatigue real quick because yeah. they're just not built to do it. Um, if you ask a draft horse to, you know, run the Kentucky Derby, then it's not, it's going to fatigue real quick as well. So I think it, yes, for sure, there's a, a breed specificity to it, mm-hmm. um, but I think it also depends on the type of exercise and what you're asking them to do. You know, Arabian horses built for endurance, um, you know, but we, again, they might struggle to pull a heavy load. Mm-hmm. 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 So and I think that's depends. a great point, Sarah. Yeah, it just depends, I think, on, yes, for sure, they're a definite breed specific in terms of their fatiguing, but I think it's really breed and job specific. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, no, very true. And I think that's just it, sport specific in regards to the discipline that they're doing. You know, we touched a little bit endurance riders um, or riding that you would maybe see a little bit more because of the the point of the the sport as opposed to maybe um something that's a little bit low less or lower intensity um but it is prevalent in any could be prevalent in any discipline so uh, right any horse is susceptible to this in other words (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been fabulous. Do you guys have any other points? Because the, the next point I would like to dive into is just uh, preventatives that uh, a rider or owner can do to be proactive. That's yeah. like a great place to go. Yeah, good place to go. <laughs> so obviously we talked about a, a baseline conditioning program um, and having that hor- your horses on that before we get into sort of more sports specific that might be a higher intensity. Um, but what else would you guys um, like to throw out there as well? Um, well, I think, you know, keeping your horse in peak condition um, in terms of a range of motion and the health of the muscle is awesome. Um, I'm just going to knock some more worms all over the place here as well, and I think it's important to consider nutrition. Yes. Um, like, we've just spent lots of time talking about, you know, storage and storage of the muscle, but obviously nutrition and being on a good nutrition program for your heart is important um, in terms of preventing fatigue. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Again, regular maintenance uh, sounds sounds silly, but things like a regular dental float. Um, if your horse has some pathology in his mouth and he's clenching his jaw, you know he's going to get really fatigued mm-hmm. from that. Uh, so little things like that, really, I guess, being proactive about your maintenance from from kind of a veterinary perspective, I think, is very helpful, uh, including you know nutrition and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super. I was going to say the same thing. It'll be a whole nother um, episode, but I think yeah. nutrition is huge um, because I don't think it's thought about enough with um, horses. Uh, and then um, from the body worker's perspective, um, making sure that you are keeping up with their regular massage allows you to know from you know, the feedback of your body worker what's happening, regular um, chiropractic, um, and as Sarah said, um, any of the other vet things that are going on. Um, but I think also we could go right back to the point that Dr. Sarah made is looking at change. I think your biggest preventative thing is, has my horse changed? Did he last year have absolutely no trouble with this exercise? And now all of a sudden this year, um, month to month, um, am I looking at uh, making sure that my tack is fitting the same? Mm-hmm. Has he changed over this COVID break and gotten quite a bit rounder than he was um, before uh, before this happened? So is, is my saddle fitting? Do I have the correct pads on him? Um, does my bridle fit? All of those small things. I think really turning into a little bit of an investigator is a huge thing when you're looking at horses because when I do a a history on a horse uh, if I have a new client oftentimes my sheets will remind them my questions that I ask them on my intake sheets will remind them of things oh yeah he used to always be great with this and now he's not you know so I think sometimes just either looking back whether you're you know you like journaling or you know you have that great horse friend that you talk to all the time you know it's even handy to say to them or your body worker what's happened like what do you think has changed where do you think this horse has come from the nice thing that I find too is is you know sometimes 
your vet only sees them in the spring and the fall if you're not doing regular chiro or acupuncture um, for a wellness program, ask your vet. Does this horse look different than it looked to you before? You know, use those super um, horse care people around you to also be able to be a good advocate for your horse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or even a really simple thing to do. We all have cell phones now. Take pictures. Just take a picture yeah, of the best of the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think to add to that, you're, you're so right, Tina, because a lot of the calls that I get are, he's just not right, Doc. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I have to unpack what not right means. Yeah. Right. And it's different things to different people. You know, some of them, it might be about the horse's girthy and it was, you know, there's a million things, but I think that's a great point is again, we're, we're back to what changed. Yes. Right? Yes. And sometimes change can be good. I think it's, you know, it's not that change is negative. Sometimes you go, what change? You go, wow, my horse has improved as top line. Awesome. Yeah. What did mm-hmm. you do to get that positive change as well as the negative change, right? Yeah. Good point. So I think it's important to make, you know, changes isn't negative necessarily. And again, call your call your wellness team and be like, okay, I'd really like to upgrade my horse. What can I do to make those changes in a positive way? We don't always have to be reactionary. We can be proactive, right? And yes. how do we get to our goals? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't thank you both enough. Um, This has been a great conversation and tons of information for people to pull from. So really appreciate both of you. Always. Oh, and thank you so much. It's so great to have somebody out there that's really honestly trying to look at uh, professionals around in, um, you know, this area and and really opening uh, people's eyes to what is available out there in the industry. So thank you, Kim, for doing this podcast and, and really yeah. uh, keeping the conversation going. Oh, well, thanks. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's um, a passion. I know... I know you often like to have your quote, but I think your quote is, is doubly relevant today. It has to be that you miss Martha not, not looking and not knowing. And I sincerely appreciate you looking and continuing to look and seek answers. Oh, well, thanks. You're making me blush, ladies. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> All righty. Thanks again. <laughs> We'd love to have you subscribe to our podcast and get all the new episodes. Please rate, review, and share with your friends so we can grow and bring you topics you're most interested in. Contact us through our website or on social media with your engagement. I know from my own perspective, working really closely with my two horses this winter through the conditioning program that we did with energy, it was quite amazing to zone in into being more cognizant of how quickly they did fatigue from some really simple, basic isometric exercises. These were horses that had had uh, quite a bit of time off. So any bit of exercise was strenuous for them, even when it seemed so simple, something like a belly lift. In some cases being, they were only able to do one or two reps Um, right at the very start. So we had to build. Also very cool was watching how they would change almost daily and their tolerance to the exercises so long as I was super vigilant watching for that fatigue. 
if we did have it or if I did have them overdo it one day, it was noticeable the next and that we would even regress slightly from what they did previously in terms of the amount of reps they could do. So important to understand fatigue, as we mentioned throughout our conversation with these two ladies. As body workers, we need to be mindful about what to look for when we go do rechecks on our client horses as well to ensure that these exercise programs that we're giving to them um, are to be the most effective as possible. Yes, and as Kim mentioned, I was um, compared to humans, and so you have to think if you haven't done an exercise before and you don't have the muscles to do it, it's going to take you, first off, it's going to take you a long time to get to where you can do that exercise um, properly and for a substantial amount of time. So following um, your programs and noticing the fatigue, same as a human, you don't want to be super sore the next day because then you won't work out for four more days because you're sore and you don't feel good. Um, And so it's kind of the same with the horses, except they can't talk back to us. So I think noticing fatigue is really important um, and will help you progress faster in your program. Yeah, absolutely it will. So we're going to post the links um, for our guest social media sites into the course platforms they were talking about as well on our show notes and online. So be sure to check those out. Thanks for joining us today. Reach out to our social media pages for more information on today's episodes and lots of extras.